How do you literally change the face and the sound of modern music? You're about to find out. The J Files on Double J. Music would be in a very different place today if it weren't for Daft Punk's seminal debut album, Homework. Their retro futuristic sound was completely unique. Their subsequent albums continued to push the boundaries of music making, drawing from the past. She's up on night to the sun, I'm up on night to get some. She's up on night for good fun, I'm up on night to get lucky. Looking towards the future and always sounding very now. And the best part is that if Thomas Bongolter or Guiman de Amon Cristo walked past you in the street, you wouldn't even know. Hey, Gab Burke here, J-Files producer at Double J, and this is the J-Files podcast. And today, I'm breaking into the Double J archive vault to dig out some absolute gems from your favourite French robots. All right, here we go. A-F-T-P-U-N-K. Such. Oh, wow. All right, yep. We've got quite a bit here. In uh, 2006... Thomas basically predicts the future of music. The technology is becoming more and more accessible. After, it's just a question of, of, uh, of uh, knowing what you want to express with it and what you want to say, and making it available is something that, that is more and more uh, accessible. Guiman reveals what it's like to perform in a robot suit. The temperature is uh, rising fast with uh, people uh, enjoying the shows. And an Australian band who've been produced by Daft Punk. The whole mission is to like get the emotion out of everything. And that comes down to every note feeling right and being in the right register and harmonically working, but just feeling right. First of all, though, I think we're going to start with this. We've been making music and then when the album came out, the work really started, you know, like touring and promotion and playing live, and which is harder stuff than just uh, chilling in the studio making tracks. <laughs> which do you enjoy better? Uh, I think it's uh, you know it it goes like by by cycles you know so it uh, we 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 enjoy not to always do the same thing again you know so we I think it, we we enjoy being in studio and then we enjoy going on the road and then we enjoy being going back to the studio. So in 1997, Thomas Bongolter was in Australia for a series of DJ gigs. It was just after the release of their debut album Homework, and in this chat with Richard Kingsmill, he reveals that they weren't actually planning on making an album. You called the album Homework. Does making music to Daft Punk ever feel like work? Uh, no, no, no. I think it was more a joke playing with with words, you know, recording it completely at home and then just like practising. At that time when we did the album, we, we we were not really thinking of doing an album. So 
in the idea of homework there's the, the the fact that you do it at home and also that it's just like from practice you know if you weren't intending to make the album what were you in what how did it end up becoming an album then i think the whole the whole house and techno and electronic music scene so far was really singular orientated and there was not that much equivalent of 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 long play albums like that you know of dance music so 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 far we were always more focused on making singles and then we 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 put together some singles we had made and because of the the, the not the demand but the 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 exposure of the music um, we really started to think about making an album and that was the idea about homework which was practicing and and you know it's not like you're being asked to do one you know but you you're in, in certain circumstances that that make makes you do one Homework from Daft Punk. It's been a very successful album for you. Were you were you ready for the success that it was going to get right around the world? <clears throat> um, you're never ready, but uh, I think you can you can take uh, you know safeties. So uh, uh, it's true that uh, staying anonymous the way we we decided to was a good safety not to 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 blow our mind. Or I don't know, you know. So that that's true. Now the album. The name and the, the music is very successful and we stay quite down down to earth this way I think. So we're really happy about the the way things have finally gone. Your partner in Daft Punk is Guy Manuel. Yes. Yeah. Either of you, are you identifiable in France? If you walk down the street, no, do people no, know no, who you not are? Not at all. Not at all. No, okay. No. 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 You like? Do you like it? Or, do you yes, like it that yes. way? Yeah. Yeah. I think we we we. Yeah, we really like it that way. I think, especially nowadays with the communication and the fact that the album was released in you know forty forty countries and. And 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 in is mainly instrumental music. We stand against a lot of ideas uh, regarding the star system and the the way the music is is sold with the faces to there and 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 the way that faces to there are sometimes more important than the music itself. And uh, and we really were intending to do the opposite and maybe sell the music with the music itself. Yeah, the music though from Daft Punk has a very strong identity, doesn't it? It's hard for us to say, I think, but we we're just uh, trying to to do it and spontaneously. Yeah, I mean, if you compare the sounds of Daft Punk to a lot of other electronic and dance bands around at the moment, you can you can pick the sound of Daft Punk quicker than you can pick the sound of other bands. Well, I we we're not the best one to to uh, entire you know to speak. It's it's easier for us to 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 make music rather than to speak about it and to try to describe it or explain it. Or, I know, but when you're actually creating the sounds of Daft Punk, I mean, you must you must be going. Uh, well, this is what you know. This is what the Chemical Brothers are doing, or this is what you know another band is doing. We don't want to do anything like that. We want to do something that's different. Are you influenced by what is happening around you in the dance scene? Um, of course, we we uh, because we're DJs as well. I think it, it you know we listen to to other people's record, but I, I think the main the main thing, the main influences we had in music was always about. Uh, innovation and, and and being creative. So that means we we might have been influenced by people who were doing really something original and 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 innovative and say, 
oh that that's really innovative we should we should not do this this thing but we should try to to sort out and find out something which you know which could be really new in that way and that way and 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 that's the good thing in in the music and, and in electronic music today is that there is um, of course there is some some a lot of cliches and, and things that are not really moving but at the same time you find some records and some bands that are really innovative and that's the the good thing yeah Daft Punk came about was when Thomas and Guiman, who actually met in high school in Paris in the 80s, they teamed up with Laurent Bronkovitz to form a guitar-based group called Darlin. That name was taken from a Beach Boys song. They played a couple of shows in the UK and a reviewer labelled their music Daft Punky Thrash. Thomas and Guiman liked that description so much, that's why they named themselves Daft Punk after Darlin disbanded. How good is that story? And what happened to their bandmate Laurent? Well, he went and joined another little French band called Phoenix. But what is actually so incredible about Daft Punk is that their music, some of it decades old now, has stood the test of time. It still sounds as fresh today as it did when it was released. With every album, they manage to experiment with new styles and new ways of making music. And they continue to bring their fans along for the ride. And they've done all this while remaining physically anonymous. As I said before, if they walked past you in the street, you wouldn't even know. You'd recognise the robots, sure but not who's under the helmet. So what's it actually like performing in a robot suit? Pretty much what you'd expect, as Gear Man told Robbie Buck in 2007. Is there a, an enormous amount of, uh, of effort going in while you're up there on stage? When we're on stage, it's uh, really hot uh, up there. It's really hot. Uh, the, having these uh, suits and uh, being a robot in this pyramid is really... Uh, the temperature is uh, rising fast with uh, people uh, enjoying the shows. We're going to get to the Aussie band who shared the studio with Daft Punk very soon. But right now, this incredible moment in 2006 when Tomas basically predicted the future of music when he spoke to Robbie Buck on Triple J. People tend to forget that artistic content and work has always been very uh, linked to the format and to very material and, and technological factors. You know, the, 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 an album, the, the, the format, what, what an LP or rock LP was, it was 40 minutes because it was the vinyl was 20 minutes maximum on each side. It, seven, it became 74 minutes 
because the CD uh, uh, compact disc was 74 minutes maximum. Now, because we're even outside of these boundaries or, uh, or, or limits uh, of, of the formats, uh, it raised other questions, and that's the problem sometimes with technology. You can do anything today. The formats are not existing anymore, and that was those limits sometimes that were constraining and, and, and even giving an, a, a, the artist like a canvas to how they could create. Mm. I think now the sky's the limit uh, uh, on a theoretical level because obviously uh, uh, the economy and the, the, the economy of creation is, is completely, has been completely uh, you know, sh shaken also by all this uh, revolution on a very interesting level, but uh, no one can really tell where it's going. And 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 the the only thing that we can see is with the internet and computers is the ever-growing uh, access to technology for any kids with just a one computer that can make music and that can edit videos, do photos. It's the technology is becoming more and more accessible. After it's just a question of of. Uh, of uh, knowing what you want to express with it and what you want to say and making it available is something that, that is more and more uh, accessible. So in this uh, vast, uh, 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 on this time of open, you know, open fields of, of opportunities, uh, I think every, every time we try to, to put ourselves some limits, you know, before it's, it was limits that uh, we didn't choose, and now I think you have to always to, to choose limits and, 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 and redesign a canvas for yourself, saying, okay, so maybe the future is just a, a music and maybe it will be a, a only songs and not any more albums, or maybe it's going to be only music videos, you know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a, an open-ended open question, I think. While they are very futuristic, always looking to the future and experimenting with new technology and different ways of making music, in their 2013 album, Random Access Memories, they actually looked to the past for inspiration. Tomas and Guiman spoke to Lindsay McDougall about it at the time. You know, listening to the album, the first and most obvious thing from the very first notes, the very first track, Give Life Back to Music, is that this is different, not only from Daft Punk, but different from what anyone's doing. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, we've always tried to do something different. I think uh, when we released our first record, Homework, uh, it was a different proposition of what was around in, in pop music at the time. Uh, it felt like Discovery was something different too. We constantly liked the idea of reinventing mm. ourselves uh, at each step. Uh, it's true that here, uh, this record was made uh, for us at a time where we felt a little bit more disconnected from maybe the music that was happening in pop music, uh, you know, for the last uh, five years. Uh, but at the same time, we've always tried to do something that was different from what was around. Our first three records became somehow influential. They might have defined a certain sound now, but it's always been really important for us to try to bring that difference. And it was important when we started, and it's still important today. What we try to do is somehow... Uh, look at the way that, you know, the fact that most of pop music today is being uh, created purely or mostly with computers to see what was maybe lost in this process. And so it was not uh, the idea of, of, of obviously making our music with human beings and with, with musicians was not a way of saying, you know, uh, music shouldn't be done with computers rather than 
uh, uh, trying to widen the possibilities of still making music today and saying, you know, that this omnipresence of technology uh, should not forbid the ability to make music uh, in many different ways possible. That's why we really tried to team up with the best musician in the world that could, you know, not only play the way we intended to, but ten, ten times better with so many different levels of nuance. And, um, and that was the, somehow the, the idea behind it. Let's talk about those uh, musicians. I'm talking to Giman and Thomas from Daft Punk. Um, it is a pretty. It, it sounds like the ultimate '70s session band, and I believe that's actually kind of what you assembled. Who, apart from the people we already know about, who who is in the band? On guitar, there's um, uh, now Rogers, of course, mm-hmm. on, on rhythm guitar, and, and also Paul Jackson Jr. Uh, Paul Jackson Jr. is probably one of our favorite rhythm guitar player that worked on Thriller. And doesn't he play on Jay Leno's Tonight Show as well? Uh, yes, yes, and uh, so Paul, Paul now play, plays on you know, you know, you know, he did the he played the hook in, in Beat It, for example, you know, he's the guitar in Beat It, uh, and he played now uh, on on Jelly, you know, that's where we found it back, and yeah. you know, and James Genius plays bass on Saturday Night Live Band as well, and we had then um, on keyboards, uh, we played some of the keyboards, but we had uh, someone called Chris Caswell, which we met through Paul Williams, and uh, and Chris is a very, uh, you know, iconic uh, 70s and 80s keyboard player that worked on the arrangement uh, with us and, and they hadn't played sometimes for quite some time together. What a feeling. What a feeling to get these people, you know, in the various rooms with, um, with you two, you know, um, from such a different world, I guess. It, 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 it's interesting because it felt like all these um, players knew each, each other, you know, and mm. we were just uh, an opportunity for to bring them back together. Before we find out what it's like to work with Daft Punk, we're going to hear from someone who once opened for them. In 2007, when they brought their world tour here to Australia, you know, the one with all the flashing lights and the big, colourful spaceship pyramid? Well, the presets at the time had only released one album and they were still kind of building their fan base here when they got the call up to play the support slot for Daft Punk. I mean, seriously, just every musician's dream gig. Julian Hamilton told Richard Kingsmill what went down. They were just so incredible. I mean, we, we, we'd seen them once before overseas while we were touring in Europe quite far away, so then to be able to see the show like four or five times um, and sit quite close, it was quite incredible. I think the one that stuck in my head was the um, the My Music Bowl show. I think they did two shows down there in Melbourne um, and they were just so amazing. The, the music obviously was so fantastic, um, but the live show and the whole setup they had was like nothing we'd ever seen before. You know, now of course, every second EDM show you know, has this massive production. But back then, that was such a, that was such trailblazers when, when they did that, you know, 10 years ago. Behind the scenes, Julian, did you get to meet them? Oh, gosh, you know, people ask us all the time, and, you know, we, we actually didn't. They were kind of floating around, but for some reason, we never really felt like we should go and talk to them. I mean, does that sound weird? I mean, we, we toured with a lot of bands, and we've supported a lot of bands over the years, and, we, you know, we would become friendly on the road with certain bands when we toured with them. But for some reason, this this 
know. It didn't feel right me going and, and fanning out and sort of saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm Julian from the presets. Uh, can, we, can we hang out? It just would have felt a bit weird for some reason. So, no, we never got to meet them. Did you see them without the helmets? <laughs> I did. I did. We saw them backstage kind of wandering around without the helmets. But it did seem a bit strange seeing them without the helmets. Maybe that's why I didn't want to meet them because, um, you know, it would have been a bit strange that the magic would have been lost if I saw them uh, without their, their masks on. So I was talking before about how you literally change the face and the sound of modern music. Well, obviously they've changed the face of it because they're robots. You don't even know what their faces look like. But one of their first ever singles, Da Funk, they actually made as a hip hop song. Now, nobody else really saw it like that. And it didn't really matter because that song was massive and it really pushed them right across the world. But the amazing thing about that is while they may not have written a hip hop track, their music has certainly resonated throughout hip hop. I'll let Kingsmill explain. Damn, they don't make them like this anymore. I ask, cause I'm not sure. Do anybody make real shit anymore? Bow in the presence of greatness. Right of course, Kanye West. And then there's Wiley. Summertime's life. The weather's got me on a summertime vibe. Slight breeze, summer days, summer nights. And yep, life's treating me right. I look left and right. High street kings of life. Couple honeys and they're looking alright. Fast approach them. Let them know that it's nice to know them. And of course, I got an internet modem. MySpace, Facebook, take a look, leave a comment on my page, got new beats to show them. New life, new team, now I'm rolling. Crispy leaves in the park where I'm strolling. Ice cream van on the 12 hour And this one is a little bit more subtle. This is Buster Rhymes. Who be the king of the sound? Bust a bus back to just put a lock on the town. Not on my coming for miles around see they be coming because they know how to guard turn it up now you know who holding the throne so give me the crown huh. saluting the trying to give me a pound i don't really f- what you niggas you get this clowns making the huh. push huh. the shit on the ground and there you go so that's buster rhymes doing his track touch it so an example of how daft punk's music has really penetrated the hip-hop world and influenced a lot of the sounds that we've had in hip-hop over the last 20 years all right what is it like to be in a studio with daft punk working on a song together Australian band Parcels can tell you, because this happened to them. Here's Patrick Hetherington with Kings Mill. The first time we came in contact was uh, maybe like 2016. We played our first show in Paris in this tiny little club, little sweaty club. And yeah, at some stage we heard like murmurs of it before the show, like, oh, the robots are coming, blah, blah, blah. And we blew it off. And then after the show... We we met them and yeah, turns out they came and they really liked it and they basically just said we like what you're doing and we'd like you to come to our studio and hang out, talk about music. Yeah, that was kind of how the connection came about. So how much longer after that performance did you actually then get to go to their studio? About six months, I guess. Everything with those two is extremely slow. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and it's all very unclear. They never. There was never a point where we knew what we were doing with them, even up until finishing and releasing the song. It would be months in between any sort of communication and a lot of uncertainty surrounding it all. Wow. So in that whole time, you must have been thinking, this is never going to happen. Yeah, you know, we just put it out of our minds, basically. 
So what? And we we did that multiple times during the whole process of this song. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you get into the studio with them and you're kind of working side by side, tell us about the process. What you learn? What What do they like to work with? Uh, incredible. Not once was it said like, "Let's make a song together." Let's. We want to produce you. This that. We just came in. And we all sat down, and of course we were a little bit starstruck or nervous. We we loved their music, but yeah, they sat us down and said, "Hey, let's just jam." We had like played some stuff, and they said, "We want to hear some demos. Like, can you show us any of your tracks?" And we showed them a whole bunch of our stuff, and chose one song called "Overnight." So first we spent seven days in the studio with them. Every day from 12 in the like afternoon until, I don't know, up until four in the morning. We were literally working on it overnight. We were experimenting with everything we were we were really going deep into every sort of idea around the song. They're insane. <laughs> the way they think about music is, is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And they don't overthink everything, but they really do think about everything. <laughs> Yet at the same time, they have this they have this mentality that music, like everything that they do in the studio, is all about the feeling and the simple emotion of music. It's not calculated or technically overthought, but it is definitely thought about the whole mission is to like get the emotion out of everything and that comes down to every note feeling right and being in the right register and harmonically working but just feeling right yeah it turns out to be more human than any other human i've ever worked with (laughs) yeah that's that's the irony of it all very clever very clever musicians they are and i've just got to quickly ask you as well before we say goodbye patrick what's their studio like is it just amazing to walk into visually yeah yeah it is um I don't know how to describe it. It's a, it feels like a home. It's very, very cozy and it's very... It's not It's not overdone. It's not like this big LA rock star studio, but it's very, very nice. The moment I was wishing, it's overnight. All right, that's it from the archives this week, but do me a favour and hit that subscribe button. You can leave me a review and let me know what you want to hear more of and maybe even tell a friend about the J-Files podcast. And what's up next week? I'm Gab Burke. Catch you next time. The J Files.